developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is Jay Baer, co-author of Talk Triggers, the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth. And you, yes, you are listening to Authors in Quarantine getting cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. So, Jay Bear, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. I'm delighted to be with you, my friend. Uh, despite the circumstances, it is always a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you. Well, thank you very much. And uh, Jay Bear, you have been a longtime supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast and a listener favorite. You are a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, which, of course, gets you discounts at any uh, Bloomington, Indiana Taco Bell. And- <laughs> I was told a silk smoking jacket. <laughs> right, Apparently, yes. I was misled. Yeah, yeah. The, the stakes have gone up. Uh, Mark Schaefer, once he hit uh, the Four Timers and Five Timers and Six Timers Club, he said, no, I, it's got to be more difficult for these people behind me. So, uh, he's a very competitive author, as as you well know. He doesn't have much to do. He just keeps writing books. <laughs> right. Actually, you know what? He had the um he's got the coronavirus. I know. I just talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact. He's doing oh. he's uh he's on the men, but he told me, um, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me mentioning it here, he had an actual fever, like a measurable fever for fifteen consecutive days. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's I, hard to fathom. Like that is crazy. Well, hey, the plan is for him to come on, and uh, I hope that him coming on in about a week or so uh, will give him the intestinal fortitude to, to to come through for the rest of us because, you know, he said he needed a goal, and he's very competitive with the rest of you <laughs> authors, so he does not want to, uh, you know, he wants to get ready for this uh, Authors in Quarantine getting cocktail. Now, I should say that uh, for folks that are not familiar with Jay Bear, he is a six-time New York Times best-selling author and uh, technology investor, and he's the founder of Convince and Convert. And what you need to know about Convince and Convert, it is the number one marketing blog. And probably even more important than that, Jay Bear is really well-known for his expertise in tequila, and uh, he's a, a smoked meat judge. I may not be saying that right. He always wears plaid suits, and if that's not enough... Jay Bear is the only author 
out of over 200 on the Marketing Book Podcast who has ridden in Douglas Burdett's 2003 Toyota Camry. Six feet away. <laughs> well, the, 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 the car, isn't, there wasn't that much room in there, but that I have had so many people wanting to buy that car because Jay Bear rode in it. And one day- My mom. I, <laughs> I sell it. When I sell it on eBay one day, oh man, it's going to be viral. It's going to be viral. It'll like, be, it'll be yeah. part of the listing, part of part of the listing for sure. Yes, that's right. I have that's... two corrections to your introduction. One, oh. uh, I have written six books, uh, but not all of them have been New York Times oh. bestsellers. Uh, but that's Sorry. quite a right. Uh, and and well, we I've given you a goal. Thank you. Convincing Convert is the number one content marketing blog, not the number one marketing blog. So I just oh, want to be uh, uh, accurate for all my friends who listen to the show. Well. Jay, you got to understand something else. It's five o'clock here on the East Coast. I've, oh, I've been drinking. I've been drinking for a while, brother. It's I've okay. been drinking since noon, and not only that, I've been playing that uh, song "Tequila" by the Champs. Tequila. Thank you. And just because I knew I was going to be interviewing you, my son—he's an EMT—and maybe some listeners have heard this before here in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, and he uh, was. There's all these oceanfront hotels at Virginia Beach that are empty. And this one resort company, who I'm happy to name, uh, Diamond Resorts, they said, you know, our place is empty. If there's any coronavirus first responders that would like a, a, a room, stay here for a month, stay here longer if you need to, no charge. And he he took a, took him up because my wife was very concerned about him catching the d- virus and bringing it home. And then he got an oceanfront suite. So anyway, the other day, he, and, and as a result, being a good EMT, has not come back in the house. He's going to try and do this right. But he did send me a text and said, hey, Dad, I'm going to come by, and I'm not going to come inside, but there's a bottle of tequila hidden in my room, and I'm going to tell you where it is. Can you get it and just put it out on the porch? I, I, I need that. <laughs> and it was on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon, and I said, uh, sure, son, uh, whatever I can do to help the first responders. But knowing that I was going to be interviewing Jay Bear for Authors in Quarantine getting cocktails, I poured some out into a decanter, and I now have it here. So, Jay Bear, cheers to you, and tell the listener exactly what it is you're drinking. And cheers to you as well. I'm actually drinking... Uh, an artisanal ancestral mezcal right now. I was actually in Oaxaca in Mexico with some of my very good friends right before uh, pandemic. And we went on a, a very authentic tour of uh, mezcal distilleries uh, in that region of Mexico. And so I brought back several different mezcals, uh, literally in like plastic water bottles. That's That's how uh, off the grid these places are. So this is a mezcal tobala, which uh, tobala is a wild agave that's not uh, always made into mezcal, but a fantastic producer goes out and harvests these in the wild and then turns them into this fantastic uh, agave spirit. Oh, wow. Now, Jay Bear, be honest, you were leading the tour, weren't you? I was not, although... Uh, I have spent a, enough time down there and enough time studying that uh, I couldn't lead the tour, partially because the tour is only in Spanish. Uh, but but I did do a um, a sixty minute, maybe might even be ninety minutes, uh, Facebook Live on the differences between tequila and mezcal uh, when I got back, which is a lot of fun. Oh, that's right! I remember seeing that you were going to do that. I'm sorry I couldn't dial in. I was drinking with Quite some right. other author. Um, <laughs> exactly. Probably, so what, this, probably so what Scott I'm McCain. Right now, yeah, th- yeah. There you go. Uh, this tastes like um, a a liquid uh, campfire. Is is exactly what this tastes like. Interesting, liquid campfire. Wow. You know, when I lived in Germany years ago, there was a a 
brewery in the town I was in called Bamberg, and they made this very famous uh, specialty called Rauchbier, which means smoked beer, and it was yes. s- smoked hops. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it when I lived there. For, when I was stationed there in the army for three years, I did extensive product testing of that particular beer. So, uh, like mezcal, I've had uh, I've had uh, Rauchbier, and it is very much of an acquired taste. Uh, <laughs> it's like and, drinking and it's a, actually like drinking a, a beef stick. For sure. There was a point in time a couple years ago where it actually had a moment here in the U.S., the, the quote-unquote black IPA movement, which was typically uh, that, that same um, uh, brewing premise uh, kind of you know burst upon the beer scene there temporarily. But um, as with a lot of things that are interesting, there's just not enough – not enough market. Yeah, it was a novelty, and it was neat being there and, and learning the story of how I think it came about because there was a fire, and all they had were burn hops, so they had to still had to make the beer because, I mean, those Germans, they got to have their beer. So at any rate, well, listen, uh, Jay, so you were in Mexico, but what did you suddenly stop? Did your whole uh, travel schedule just uh, dry up for a while? Well, sure, yeah. Um, I had, like all of well, – not all, but – certainly most of the authors on the show had a pretty busy speaking schedule lined up for 2020 and that uh, ground to a very rapid halt and with uh, people going virtual or reschedules or cancels or we're going to push it to 2021 or et cetera, et cetera. So, so my poor agent, um, Michelle Joyce, who is an absolute delight in every way, certainly is up to her eyeballs. She also reps uh, Mark Schaefer, aforementioned, and, and a number of other people who have been on the show. Uh, she, Joey Coleman, I think. Joey Coleman, yep, mm-hmm. is uh, the newest speaker to Michelle's roster. I'm talking to him next week. Yeah. Oh, he's he's great. Uh, Brian Fanzo also on, yes. on her roster. So uh, Michelle's been very very busy trying to take care of of all of us and um, negotiate with all the different meeting planners, and it, it's been quite a mess. Um, so the the bad news is that uh, I'm not getting paid to speak right now, um, but the good news is uh, I'm home in a way that I've not been home. For a long, long, long time. In fact, we're now, I think, three weeks past the point at which I was home for the most days contiguously since 2003. Uh, so, and, and we're well past that now. So, And you didn't uh, start is, Convince is, and Convert until 2008, right? No, no, it was well before that, yeah. Even, even in my previous firm, uh, I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona at the time, but my, my company was in Phoenix, and so I was gone three days a week um, for many, many years, uh, even when, when my kids were much younger. So I, I, am, I am, to say I'm unaccustomed to being home um, every day and have the same pillow and the same um, desk and everything else is, is an understatement of epic proportion. So uh, it's funny, a lot of people on my team say, well, you know, gosh, my life has been so disrupted. And I feel the exact opposite. I feel like I'm living through Groundhog Day, the movie. Now, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I miss, I miss, I miss being strip searched at TSA, among other things. Oh man, I love that too. I like the frisking mainly. Yeah. But Jay, it's it's great for you. But I think the unanswered question is, how how's your family holding up with you there all the time? Well, it's funny you ask that. Um, you know, they, both my kids were in college uh, at the time of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They are both back home now. So my son is just a freshman at university. And so my wife and I were empty nesters uh, temporarily. Uh, and now we are <laughs> and now we are full nesters. And so both both kids are back. They are uh, endeavoring to to go to classes um, via virtual conferences, etc. Uh, they're doing fine. It's actually nice to have them home, of course. Um, I miss them, and it's nice to have them here. 
but in the same way that I'm not used to being home, my wife is not used to me being home. Uh, and, and so it's working out fine. Uh, but luckily we do have a, a vacation home that's just 20 minutes away. So I'm trying to pop on out there a day or two a week just to, um, uh, preserve everybody's sanity. Cause I'm a lot, I'm a lot to deal with. Well, and, uh, I've never heard from your wife before, but she was uh, messaged me several times today to talk about how appreciative she was that I was going to be able to spend some time with you. <laughs> yeah. She's like, how long is that show? Four or five hours. That's perfect. <laughs> That's right. It reminds me what you're describing there is a, a buddy of mine who stayed in the army and uh, later retired. He was like overseas and for a year at one point. And he came back and, you know, his wife and the kids kind of had a groove and things were going quite well. <laughs> and she finally had to say, honey, we, we kind of have a system here. <laughs> yes. yes. And so it was a real adjustment for him. And, uh, you know, they were happy to have dad back, but the, it was it's kind of unusual. It's kind of like a lot of people who have dogs. Their dogs are just like, man, when are these people going to give me a break? No kidding. <laughs> I, I hated it when they left, and now they won't leave. So at any rate, well, listen, you mentioned Brian Fanzo. Yeah. And I want to mention uh, something that's coming up that I think a lot of marketing book podcast listeners would really enjoy. And if they if they can't make it at the specific time, I think you're going to record it. You all have – uh, the eight questions you must answer to produce a successful virtual event. And that's coming up on April 23rd at 2 p.m. That is correct. And I'm actually going to give you uh, a link in our chat here as we record this um, so that you can uh, distribute that as well. Uh, Brian and I have been friends for a long, long time. And, and Brian Fanzo is a, a very experienced uh, participant in virtual events, virtual summits. Uh, I've done many, many of the same. In fact, my team and I have produced dozens of webinars and such a year for more than a decade. So this idea that everybody has to take their events and take them virtual is 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 not um, a big stretch for us, quite the contrary. So Brian and I have joined forces and, and are executing on a live broadcast next week all about what you really need to know to turn your event into a success when it is solely online. We're going to talk about platform and how to do video and how to do interactivity with the audience and how to drive sponsor value and all the other questions that meeting planners and corporate clients have been asking Brian and myself. And so we're looking forward to doing it. It doesn't cost anything. Just uh, tune on in. Well, I don't want you to tell us the answers, but what are some of the biggest uh, questions or maybe concerns that people have about virtual events? Is it, is it is in part because some of them just haven't done them before? For sure. Uh, or or if they have done them, they've done very limited webinar style um, broadcasts. They, they've not really said, hey, we have an annual summit that's got, you know, a thousand people, two thousand people, four thousand people, ten thousand people. Uh, and, and how do we mimic some of those interactions in a virtual environment. So the, the, some of the questions that we get asked most often, certainly around platform, that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of different software packages out there that purport to be able to host and handle your virtual event. Like any other software package, though, there are some that, that are better for massive functionality and big crowds and others that are more targeted to lesser functionality and smaller crowds. And so kind of understanding that whole e ecosystem is a, is a question that we get a lot. Um, and then certainly the, what do you do about the content? Because I've done a lot of virtual event and webinar MC and hosting engagements as with Brian. And one of our observations is that, and this may sound counterintuitive, 
but for speakers who do not speak professionally, so your VP marketing, your VP customer service, your CFO, whomever may need to be part of this uh, circus, it turns out that for most people, being a speaker in a virtual environment is more nerve-wracking and actually more difficult than being a speaker in a physical environment because mm-hmm. you don't have that audience interaction. You can't quote unquote read the room mm-hmm. and people are just, you know, it, it's an uncomfortable environment. You're probably going to be at your house, at least for the foreseeable future. So there's just a lot of issues there around how do you actually present with confidence, with persuasion, with aplomb, um, and and how do you make it worth the audience's time? And then you have the third kind of set of of questions, which is, all right, well, how do we how do we merchandise this, right? So, so how do we how do we promote it? What kind of reminder emails do we send? What do we send out afterwards? Who sends it? When do they send it? So, one of the things that that I like to tell my clients is that the event begins the second somebody hears about it, mm. and it ends as soon as the last follow up nurture sequence email is sent. People think the event is. April 23rd, but the event is actually that entire span of time. And and you will be better at this if you think of it that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I guess uh, they're, uh, if there was like a paid event and they're trying to make it virtual or they have, they're going to have to take a big, uh, they, they reduce the price or are they sometimes making it free just to salvage the audience for the next live event? It's interesting. I've had a lot of those conversations about, well, usually we charge $1,500 for a ticket. Should we charge $750? Should we charge $300? Should we charge nothing? You know, they don't have hotel costs in some cases um, or AV costs at the same level, but but yet you probably also don't have the same kind of sponsor underwriting revenue as well. So there's not really a best practice there yet. Um, it really depends on and this is the first question that we always ask people is, okay, well, what are you trying to do really and and why? And what they always say is, well, we want to have a virtual event. I'm like, that's not the right answer. <laughs> right. Because an event is a means to an end, right? An event is a conveyance mechanism to accomplish some sort of business outcome. Mm-hmm. Is it is it awareness? Is it leads? Is it relationships? Is it connecting your audience to third parties like sponsors? Like what is the actual thing that you're trying to accomplish with an event? Because having an event is not in and of itself a sufficient reason to have an event. So what we try to do is drill down on that point and say, oh, okay, well, if what you're really trying to do is this, maybe actually it's not an event, right? Maybe, maybe it's a series of YouTube videos. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an online course. There's a lot of things that you could do to have um, the, the business outcomes accomplished that aren't necessarily everybody's got to show up on their computer at the same time. But everyone thinks about business outcomes first, don't they, Jay? <laughs> if that were true, none of us would have to write books, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. But also they're probably thinking, boy, I wish that Jay had been around here before we started thinking of doing this live event. <laughs> so, well, just to step back for a second though, you know, we're all wondering what kind of What's what's gonna what what changes are gonna be accelerated by this whole pandemic, and you know what things are gonna become the norms? Do you have any sense for uh, things that that might start to change with uh, sales and marketing? I mean, I'm I'm hearing a lot more about the you know the term virtual sales. 
Well, I, I certainly feel like a lot of events are going to embrace this hybrid format well into the future. This idea that, yeah, we, we may have a physical face-to-face event, but maybe not with the same length, the same comprehensiveness, the same intensity. And instead, we're going to augment that with online content before and after the physical event. And, and so I've already talked to a lot of clients who are pondering that and saying, you know what, we probably should have been doing this a while ago. And, and now we sort of have the, the push uh, to, to make that happen. I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, on, the, on the sales side, absolutely. Th- this idea of account-based marketing and being smarter, wiser, more specific about your target audiences and, uh, and, and reaching out to potential customers with a degree of specificity and relevance, uh, I think is, is absolutely going, not that it was having challenges before, um, in terms of adoption, but I think it will be adopted at an even faster rate. Um, I think people are starting to understand that social media is about people, not about logos. Mm-hmm as it once was. And then we sort of lost our way on that, you know, when it became all about the, all about the money. Um, and, and I, I see a pendulum swinging back on that front and hopefully that will stick. And then obviously one of the ones that impacts all of us is this idea of, of work from home and convince to convert. Our, our team has been virtual since the beginning, since we started the firm in 2008. So this part of it is not a challenge for us whatsoever. But for a lot of organizations, this is the first time they've worked from home, or at least in any um, great um, uh, manner. And and the longer that we are required or, or requested to work from home, the more we will adapt to be able to do so. And, and I wonder how many organizations will say, you know what, that wasn't that bad, actually. Maybe we should do more of that. Absolutely. And you're, you're talking to one right now where not only in my business life, but also my personal life, I'm, I'm relooking at everything. <laughs> like, you know, uh, why did I belong to that club? Or, you know, why, why are we doing that? And, and actually, I'm at my home now, and the office has been empty for four weeks now. <laughs> I'm going to let that lease go. I, of course, I was thinking about you because I knew you guys were, you know, virtual, and I, I was just thinking, you know what? I should have done this a long time ago. And there's a lot of that going on, and I'm actually energized by a lot of companies that are thinking, wait a minute, what what were we doing? You know, it's it's sort of shaking the inertia uh, out of a lot of uh, organizations, and I I hope for, um, you know, in a good way. Now, you mentioned social media, and there is a fantastic post that you did uh, at Convince and Convert. And I want to ask you about that. And also, if I'm not mistaken, you've got, uh, you recorded a webinar on 11 changes to your social media strategy during coronavirus on a live. We did. Yeah. So they, so people can access that. Yes. And I'm going to include a link to it at this episode at marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? Nice. And, uh, so it's 11 social media changes to make in a coronavirus world. And I was wondering, what are the ones, we don't have to go through all of them, because uh, you don't have enough tequila there, but what are the ones that- I also are, can't remember all of them without looking at the blog <laughs> what, are, what are some of the ones that maybe have been surprising companies that they should should be doing? Uh, well, one thing that, that I, I really recommend, and, and it's not terribly difficult, but should be done, 
is to just be thoughtful about your imagery. So the example we used in the blog post and in the webinar was from Schwinn Bicycles, and I mm. found it to be a, a fascinating case study. So mid-March, they had this Instagram post, which was two people riding side by side on their bicycles on like a mountain road. And a week later, it was a similar kind of call to action, similar kind of message, but it was one person riding one bicycle by themselves on a very similar road. I'm like, that's smart. These guys have figured out that in an era of social distancing, you probably shouldn't have an image that shows a bunch of people gathering together on their bicycles. So it's just that kind of being aware of circumstances to avoid sort of obvious blowback that you're going to get if you're just not paying attention. That's definitely a best practice. And then the other one that I that I really uh, want to point out, and I think it's more important than ever, is this idea that every post should have a purpose. I have been on my soapbox for years now with this idea that we, we can't engage in random acts of content. Mm. It doesn't work. You know you're going to be saying that for the rest of your career. I know. Um, it doesn't work. But it certainly doesn't work now. Because today, that random act of content uh, actually not only hurts you algorithmically, but I think hurts your brand. The things that brands do and organizations do over the next five or six weeks will have, I believe, a significant impact on their success over the next five or six years. And making sure you understand before you press send, who is this for? What mindset or behavior change are we trying to induce because of this post? And does this need to be said? And if you don't know the answer to those, then you should probably not say anything. So we are certainly advising most of our clients um, to reduce their cadence uh, in social and be more thoughtful about the things that they that they do publish. I am not a believer in this, hey, we should all go quiet. You should stop, quote unquote, selling. But I'm very much a proponent in this is a time for utility and and being as helpful as you possibly can. Yes, let me just quote from that. Only post with a purpose. This is not the time for fr frivolous posts that are sent because they are, quote, due per the social media editorial calendar. It doesn't mean you can't be lighthearted or even funny. It does mean, however, that you must carefully consider why you are posting in social media. But, you know, um, at the very end of that post, you one of the, or towards the end, it's elongate your sales funnel. And that talks to what you were just touching on. I think there's a lot of companies that are hunkered down, you know, maybe in the fetal position, they're just afraid to make any kind of move. And it, you talk about how people might not want to buy from you right now, or they, or they can't, but that doesn't mean uh, you should stop trying to talk to them in the right way. Yeah, people may not be able to buy, but they definitely want to shop. Mm -hmm. And in fact, at some level, they might want to shop more than ever because there's a psychology of, well, I can't wait to be able to go on that trip or buy that bicycle or um, listen to that podcast or purchase that software, whatever the circumstances may be. I, I can't remember if we said it in the blog post, but I know I said it on air when we did the, the webinar. Right now is an opportunity for every category to have a company or organization that sort of serves as the Pinterest, quote unquote, of that category. The ones that allow the customers who may be sidelined by, by mandate or by circumstance, who allow those customers to dream. And I think that is an important role to play. And I feel like companies um, who who can sort of fit that bill uh, should do so. Yeah, it, 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 that's, it was with that elongate your sales funnel point. It says, try to become the Pinterest of your industry. How can you spotlight previous customers? 
and how they use your products and services. How can you help your customers and prospects think about what and how they are going to do with you when they are allowed to do so? So, I, you know, just think. <laughs> a lot of this is, you know, basically the end of this, you could have added a line for me that says, Douglas, just use your head. And we both know I don't like doing that. So... At any rate, well, listen, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, get you back with the uh, listeners to the, the Marketing Book Podcast and to let them know about both of those webinars, which are really important and very Thanks. inspirational. One of them's already happened. The other one's coming up, but they're going to record it. And uh, I hope that um, there's another book in your future so that you could become a member of the, the Four Timers Club. Yeah, probably. And it's it's funny you you say that. As we've discussed, I think on the show in the past, I, I do things a little differently. I write a speech and then I take the speech on the road and I do the speech thirty or forty times and I polish it and then I turn it into a book. Um, I was just starting that um, when the pandemic occurred. In fact, I'd given the new speech twice, oh. uh, which is far short of thirty or forty times. But I had probably another thirty or forty lined up. Uh-huh. Uh, so hopefully, if we get back to regular business, I'll be able to take this new concept um, out on the road and uh, and and get it get it to the point where it's uh, book ready. Okay. Well, if you need a ride. You know, I got that car still. Thank you. I can't Thank let you. it go now. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I remember I ran into you at the speaker's party at Content Marketing World a couple of yeah. years ago. And uh, I said, you know, Jay, I, I think I'm on to something. These authors who are also public speakers, you know, like you and Scott Stratton and uh, Scott McCain and, and uh, so many others, I said. Well, we should say that Allison Stratton is the author. Scott Allison, Stratton right, right, right. Let's, right, let's, yeah. let's be clear about that. Yeah, sorry. Um and and then there's many there's many others too. And anyway, I said, you know, I'm I've started to notice after reading a few hundred. I'm a slow learner, Jay. And I said, the the guys, these people that are the big speakers, they have the best books. And it's and Joey Coleman, he's another one. And mm-hmm. and I said, it's almost like the stand-up comedians where they test their material out over the years and they keep honing it and perfecting it. And I remember you said, yes, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I do. Exactly and I thought, right. oh. Oh, okay. I'm on to you now, Bear. Yeah. Well, I learned. I, you know, I didn't do it that way my first time. Uh, you know, the first time I With wrote a book. Now I, revolution. I, I, yeah, I wrote a book and then wrote a speech, and 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 both were fine. Um, but then I realized, well, you know, isn't a book just like a longer version of a speech? Shouldn't it have a beginning, a middle, and end? Shouldn't it have captivating stories and and examples shouldn't have lessons that all audience members can take something away from. And and so I realized that that the two forms are not as different as we might consider them to be. And uh, I felt like the better way to make them both good was to start with the speech, because then at least you know the stories are right. You know the narrative is right. You know you can hold people's attention. So yes. I write a speech, get the speech great, and then just make it longer with more examples for the book. Yes. And I remember talking to Joey Coleman about this after I got to read his uh, and interview him about his book, uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. Great book. Which is terrific. Oh, oh, so good. Just today, I was recommending it to a, a listener. I get messages on LinkedIn from all these different- I need to ask him where he is on his new book because I can't wait for it. Oh, I'll ask him when I talk to him uh, next week. But they, they all Never Lose about, an Employee is what it's called. Oh, is it really? Allegedly. Oh. oh. You heard it here first, folks. That's why you listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. <laughs> but- um, he, I was asking him about that, and he was, as I recall, I think Tom Webster had said Joey Coleman was the biggest speaker who didn't have a book. In other words, Joey of, Coleman was the biggest speaker who didn't have a Twitter account. 
Okay. Well, I mean, literally ask him, ask him one on the show about, about his, not only his disdain for social media. Hmm. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get him angry here because we're going to be drinking. So, <laughs> but, um, he then told me, he says, oh yeah, yeah. I think it was after I'd spoken to you about this and he said, yeah. And he told me that what he did for the first draft of his book is he went into a recording studio for like 12 hours and just spoke the whole book. Yep. Just did his material and, and transcribed it. And then, yeah. And then had it transcribed. That was the first draft then, of course, from which it all did. And I just thought, man, that dude is a speaker because like in so many of the books, there's timing and there's pacing and it's, you, you feel like you're not fighting to, to stay engaged because there's a certain mixture of, it's as if you're asking people to stand up and, you know, maybe interact with somebody or, you know, tell a story or something like that. So Please don't uh, stop doing that. So, Jay, I hope you and your family uh, continue to stay safe. I hope they don't kill you while you're home. And I greatly- <laughs> You'll be the first to know. I appreciate you joining us here on this special, hopefully limited time series of Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. My pleasure. Enjoy that tequila. And thank you to your son for his service. <laughs>